0: How about we pray as we uh, look at this together? Loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the scriptures. Uh, As we seek to understand what you're saying here, we pray that uh, it'll soak into our hearts and minds, that it'll make a difference to how we view you, how we view what it is to be your people in this world. That that'll translate into the way that we live and the way that we speak and... Our goals, desires and aspirations for the future. We we pray in short that this will change us and we know that you do change us by your spirit. We pray that you'll do that now. Amen. Well, we're we're working our way slowly through Genesis 1 to 3. I wasn't able to be with you last week, but I had a listen online to to Steve Kovitz who brought us God's introduction to humanity uh, just from three verses. And you know kind of went from there through other parts of the Bible, we're going to do the same thing tonight. And uh, we're looking at the, the topic of rest, uh, so those two verses where it says that God created uh, the world in six days and on the seventh day he rests, uh, but we're going to see where the Bible takes that idea uh, and where it lands for you and I. And so the, in, in some sense, what we could call this talk isn't simply rest, although it's nice and. Simple. We could call it a biblical theology of Sabbath. Um, now, why do I spell it out like that? Well, it could be the fact that I've got an essay due on Tuesday uh, on rest, a biblical theology of the Sabbath. But, but more importantly, a, 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 let's take each of those words. It's biblical. That is, what does the Bible say? It's theological. That is, it's coming from God. The Sabbath is actually. A word that means rest. So what does the Bible say about rest? And it starts on the second page of the Bible, at least in mine. But it doesn't finish there. And so what I want to do is to kind of take you on a journey through the Scriptures. And we won't be looking at everything there is to say. We won't even be looking at everything that's listed on your piece of paper tonight, But you might want to take this away and explore what does the Bible have to say about rest Uh, so that you can become a a biblical theologian of the Sabbath. If you've ever wanted to be that, right, here's the tools. You probably haven't. Um, But it actually hits the road. The the rubber hits the road when it comes to issues of work and rest and how we balance our lives. And, And here's a question for you. It's not a rhetorical question. Um, Which of you would actually say that you've got your work-life balance all sorted? Sorted. There's a couple of... Yeah, some of you are pretty happy. Well, I want to talk to you, right, because I struggle with work-life balance, as it's commonly known, and I think that the majority of us probably do at some stage of our life anyway. Uh, And I've seen, in my own experience, it can be a bit like a pendulum. So it's all work, 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 crash, Oh, I better rest, 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 rest. Oh, but now I've got to get back to work and I overdo it and, and it kind of goes like that. But it's interesting that God has a much clearer design for us that has some massive implications. Let's have a look at what they are. Let's have a look, first of all, at Genesis 1 and 2. So God has been creating the world, right? You've had day one through to day six in Genesis 1. Then in chapter 2, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. It's a good idea for us to interrogate the Bible, for us to actually ask questions of the Scriptures, to think, what is going on here? And if you'd been reading from the very beginning in Genesis one verse one, you'd be reading that let God sorry and God said let there be and there's morning and there's evening that such and such day and it was good. And God populates the world that He makes with all of these things, and then by day six He's finished, and on day seven He rested. But where are the differences in day seven to days one to six? Any of you just notice it? A quick observation? It is good, it is very good. Yeah, you don't get that mention there. Nor do you get the mention of there was evening and morning, the seventh day. There's an open endedness to this seventh day. God has finished the work of creation and now he's resting. And and you might think, well, why is God resting? Uh, I reckon it'd be pretty tiring, don't you, to create the entire universe? I reckon that'd be pretty tiring, but do you think God gets tired? I mean, if you can create the entire universe, I don't think that you're going to run out of puff in the process. Uh, God is probably very capable of continuing to be at work. And what does it actually mean for God to rest? See, there's some people who view the idea of God as the creator as a bit like the clockmaker who makes a clock and winds it up and then lets it go. It just automatically happens from then on. But that's not the Bible's view of God. In fact, the Bible says, and there's a reference there in John chapter 5, Jesus, talking of God the Father, says that God has been at work since the beginning, and I also am at work. So he's rested, but he's, he's still at work, and he's always been at work. In fact, the Bible tells us that if God stopped his work of enabling this world then it would cease to be. So why point to rest? I mean, if he doesn't get tired and if it's of a different kind of nature, what's it highlighting? And it tells us in these verses, notice, God rested on the seventh day, then God blessed the seventh day, that is, he focused on this particularly and made it special. He made it holy, that is, he set this apart, Because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. In other words, God's setting a pattern for life. Um, And and it's built out of the creation. As God creates in in six days and then rests on the seventh, so he establishes a pattern that there'll be work on six days and then the seventh day will be a day of rest. It's set apart, it's it's a holy day, literally, a, a holiday a holy day devoted to God on that seventh day. Now, what then happens with this? Well, the next time it comes up, as far as I can see, is in the book of Exodus. And uh, I'm going to jump across to Exodus and chapter 16, first of all. And uh, to set the scene, Israel have been slaves in Egypt. And, and the character of their life when they were slaves in Egypt, uh, think Pharaoh and the building of the pyramids uh, or the building of any of those things in Egypt, you've got people working hard all the time. And, And if you read through the beginning of the book of Exodus, they're slaves and they are driven like slaves to work harder and harder and harder with less resources for longer hours and it's absolutely miserable. And they cry out to God and God rescues them. And so God saves his people. He takes them through the Red Sea. He's taking them to the promised land, but they become disobedient and grumble and groan and complain. But God provides for them all the way along, right through that journey in the wilderness. And one of the ways he provides for them, because out in the desert, there's not a local 7-Eleven. You can't just pop in and grab bread and milk for the next day. There's nothing Probably what a lot of western New South Wales looks like at this time. Nothing. No food growing, no water. And God provides it. You can read the account in Exodus. God provides the food by the form of a bread-like substance that falls to the ground called manna. And he tells the Israelites that he's going to do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Well, Saturday, but it was really started Sunday, right, and finished on the Friday. And there was going to be a rest on the Saturday. And he tells the people that on the Friday, they're to go out and they're to gather twice the amount because he's not going to be delivering it on the next day. And the people test him on this. So they think, oh, I'll, I'll collect double on a, on a Monday or a Wednesday. And what happens to It, it gets filled with maggots and goes off. But when they collect double on the Friday to cover them over for the Saturday, it doesn't get maggots and it doesn't go off. Now, why does God do it that way? Why doesn't he just kind of send the manna every day? Why does he do it six and not do it on the seventh? Well, it's because of this pattern. And the pattern is something that they need to absorb to to really understand. Let let me read to you a little bit um, from this. In Exodus 16, he says, Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That's why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one's to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Isn't that a gracious provision from God? He's getting them to work. Now, their work is pretty simple. To go out with a basket and gather up enough manna to make the bread for the day. So they don't have to do it on the Sunday because God gives them enough on that sixth day so as to be able to rest on the seventh. You see? So that's our first introduction to it. The next time we meet it is uh, in chapter 20. And the thing about chapter 20, um, if, if you'd like to turn to that, is it's it's The Ten Commandments that are given to God's rescued people. Now you might think the Sabbath comes in as one of the Ten Commandments. It does. But I hope you're already getting the hint that it was already there. So it was there before they got given the Ten Commandments in the way that God provided the bread. It was there in the very creation event itself. So in Exodus chapter 20, it's the fourth commandment. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 6 days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So... God's giving these ten commands to his rescued people. that That is, they're his safe people and they're to be distinctive. They're, the Israelites are to be different to all the other nations because they've got these words from God and God wants this pattern of life to continue for Israel. Work six days, have a rest on the seventh day. Treat that day as holy, a day that's separated from the other six, a day that's Devoted to God. It's a Sabbath to the Lord. And notice it's not just one person who's to stop working. It's anyone in the household. It's all the servants. It's all the animals that are out in the field. It's everyone gets a rest on the Sabbath. See, God's giving them a gift. He's saying, you know, back in Egypt, how much did you work? All the time. And it was really hard. Well, it's not going to be the case in the promised land. You get to work six, and then I give you a day of rest. There's God's provision. Now, this command is anchored there in the creation. You see it? Therefore, um, in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day, and therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So it's built into the creation. I just want you to keep that in mind. ...because this isn't the only time God gives the Ten Commandments. I want you to notice the difference in a minute. Now there are various other references uh, to the Sabbath... ...right through the book of Exodus. I'm not going to look at any of the others. There's a reference there to it being a special sign from God. It's actually a covenant sign of a commitment... ...between God and his people there in Exodus 31. But when the people of God are just about to enter into the Promised Land... After 40 years in the wilderness, Moses stands up on the plains of Horeb and he gives a speech to the Israelites. And as he does so, he actually um, gives the Ten Commandments again. In other words, it's like saying, remember when I went up on the mountain and I got the Ten Commandments and I read them all to you and you heard what we were to, to be like, how we were to live? Well, let's not forget that. Um, We're about to go into the promised land. Let me tell you afresh, this is how you ought to be. And what he says there um, is actually a little different. Most of them are, are identical, but the Sabbath command is a little different. See if you can pick it up. So from verse 12 of Deuteronomy 5, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any animals or any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now what's the difference? What did you notice there between Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5? Not rhetoric, not rhetorical, you get to participate. Didn't talk about creation, did it? It's not anchored in the creation. What is it anchored in? Where's the link? Because you were slaves in Egypt and God rescued you. He brought you out with his mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So you've got two reasons already for the Sabbath. God creates in six days. He works and then he rests. And God has rescued them from only work in the slavery of work to now be his people where they can work six days and have a day of rest. Now, I think we've got to see this in perspective because I grew up in, a, in what you might call a Sabbatarian family. My family was very committed to Sunday being the day of rest. And I found it awful. I found it awful because my experience of the day of rest was that it was a day of don'ts and cannots. I wasn't allowed to play football because they trained on a Sunday. I wasn't allowed to play another code of football because they played on a Sunday. I got into trouble from a member of our church leadership for using the church tennis courts on a Sunday. You see, the experience for me as a, as a young fella and a teenager was the Sabbath is all about what you cannot do. Can't play sports, can't go to the shops, can't do this, can't do that. It was actually seen as a great prohibition. And so I grew up with a negative perspective on Sabbath that I think was particularly negative because I'd not yet learned what it was to work. And so every day for me was a day of rest. I just wanted to keep it going on the Sunday. But think about Israel. They have been slaves and they have been forced at at a whip's end with incredibly poor resources, not enough food, long hours to work and work and work and work. And God says, no, I'm a God of rest. I want you to remember that I love rest, that rest is good. And I want you to remember how good rest is by putting it into your weekly pattern so that you remember rest and rest being a gift from me every week of your life. See, it's not about what you can and cannot do on a particular day. It's about a God who delights In us trusting Him. Think back to what it was to be out in the wilderness. Why did the Israelites go out hoping to find some manna on the seventh day initially? I reckon because they didn't trust God. But that's a bit weird, isn't it? Because if they didn't trust God, why were they going out in the first place? We can be twisted like that, we can be confused like that. My teenage experience was wrong because I thought God was the killjoy. When the reality is, God saying to me, you don't have to work all the time. I've not created you to work all the time. I've created you to enjoy rest. Work and rest. There's the balance. It's a gift from God. Now, I want to jump across to the New Testament. Right? There's a lot that gets said right through the Old Testament, but we're going to bypass about a thousand pages. And... We meet the Sabbath with Jesus, and there's a few places we could go to, but I'm just going to read a few verses from Matthew. And I want you to see the perspective that Jesus has on the Sabbath. Um, you, you might remember those wristbands that people used to wear, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, this is what did Jesus do, which is a lot more productive than just, you know, what you think he might have done, right? What did Jesus do when it came to the Sabbath? And what he did was incredibly radical but I think you'll discover in absolute keeping with God's wonderful gift. So first of all, from Matthew 12, you're working hard this afternoon, right? I'm making you work hard because it's a nice cool day and we're all relaxed, right? Um, Matthew 12, at at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And then when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. How does Jesus answer them? He says, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He's quoting the Bible. He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread in the temple, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read that in the law, the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrated the Sabbath and yet they're innocent? I tell you that someone or something greater than the temple is here. If you'd known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail here, but here's the Pharisee's mindset, right? This is the law. You have to keep it. And this is what Jesus is saying. I'm actually the Lord of the law. You know, I, I'm, I rule over the, the law of God I'm the Lord of the Sabbath and what's it about? It's about showing mercy it's not about law keeping right that's the first thing we see quite simple let's look at the next bit verse 9 going on from that place he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus they asked him is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? trick question you see He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Now, again, what's the Pharisees' perspective? You can't work on the Sabbath. Jesus says, look, okay, that's the rule, but if you've got a sheep and it falls in a hole, are you going to pick it out or are you going to wait till the next day? Implication being, of course, you're going to pick it out because you you think that you should do something kind. They're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to trap him into breaking the law. And so in the synagogue, there's a man with a shriveled hand and they want to know if Jesus is going to heal him he does heal him. But Jesus shows us by doing that that the Sabbath is really about God's goodness to us, not about law-keeping. God's goodness is in giving life. In fact, I'll give you Mark's account of exactly the same incident because it just shows how different Jesus and these guys are, right? Um, he, he looked at them in anger, the Pharisees, and deeply distressed at their stubborn hand hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now I've skipped a bit. Actually, it was this four I wanted to read. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? That's the bottom line, right? That's about showing mercy. It's about doing good. And, and, and what's the irony here? Jesus heals. He does good. He restores this guy's life. What do they do on the Sabbath? They plot to kill him. I mean, you couldn't get further from the purposes of God than to be plotting to kill his own son. So don't think that the way of Pharisaic law-keeping is the way forward. Now, I think this has got massive implications. I think it's got implications potentially for an entire denomination called the Seventh-day Adventists. Now, I know um, a label doesn't mean you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, but to have a law that cannot be broken, that a particular day must be kept not doing this and not doing this and not doing this and not doing this is not what God's on about. God's on about showing that we're not built just to work. We're built to do good, we're built to show mercy, we're built to create life, and we're built to rest, we're built to trust in God that He will provide. And the great danger is if we think that life is about work, 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 have always got to work, then ultimately we are not trusting that God will provide. Whether it's the student that, that gets up and studies. Till the time they go to bed and they do it seven days a week. Or whether it's the the man that goes off to the office and and does it long hours and then brings it home and does it all weekend. Or whether it's the mother and father who will never take a, a weekend for their children. Or whether it's the person who says, no, I don't need a holiday. And they might not, but what about the donkey and the maidservant? and hired hands that are working with him. Quite simply, I remember a guy saying to me, "Now, I don't like holidays because I, I, I'm much more fulfilled doing my work. And I knew that if he spoke with his wife or any of his children, they'd say, "Oh, we are desperate for a holiday? All right, so Jesus is challenging it. Now, keep that context in mind, right? Matthew 12, two incidents where he does things on the Sabbath. Now, go back to the verses that just come before. See one of the problems in our versions of the Bible is we've got numbers and, and, and we use these numbers to think that okay well this is a new chapter it's got nothing to do with what went before it but let me, let me tell you a secret there were no numbers originally and so you've got a flow of argument look at what he's just said Matthew 11 verse 28 Jesus says come to me all you who are weary and burdened And I will give you rest, he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, what is Jesus' attitude to rest? What's his attitude to the Sabbath? He's offering the best rest you can ever get, a rest for your soul. A rest that begins in this life and goes into all eternity. And what are the Pharisees offering by contrast? Don't do anything on the Sabbath. See, that's the difference between a legalism of religion and releasing life that comes through the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Come to Jesus and he'll give you rest. You're feeling weary, you're feeling burdened, I am. I imagine that you are. Let's turn to Jesus. Because he lifts our burdens. He takes them on himself and he dies with them. And he gives us life now and life eternal. It doesn't mean life's going to be cruisy here and now. But it means Jesus is saying to you, don't worry, I've got this. I've got this. I've got this. All right. Now there's another category of thinking Um, you're doing really well right I'm I'm going to give you all a mark in theology one on rest right you'll get past that as you go through this but but the book of Hebrews is really interested in this idea of rest and uh, we won't look at everything but again I just want to give you a quick introduction to it because I couldn't apply Genesis 2 properly I think without looking at Hebrews so we've just got to do this quickly and I'm sure you'll be glad that we do Um, A little bit of background as we turn up to Hebrews chapter 4. The Bible actually uses interchangeably in the Old Testament the idea of rest and Sabbath and applies that to the promised land. And so in Psalm 95, uh, there's a reflection on the fact that the people of Israel were disobedient in the wilderness and failed to enter it doesn't say the promised land, it says fail to enter the rest. Right. So the idea of rest is what they're looking forward to, the promised land with God forever and ever. And But when Psalm 95 says that, it says, therefore, don't fail to enter that rest. A, there remains a day. We're still looking forward to rest. Now, that's the background. Right? Look at how Hebrews picks it up. So Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let's be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And yet... His works have been fulfilled since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today, This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, which is Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Now, if you got lost in that, let me try and recap uh, as simply as I can. Um, In the Old Testament, the people are looking forward to entering the rest. That is the promised land. Only two people did who left Egypt, Joshua and Caleb. Everyone else perished because of disobedience. So that's in the past when David writes his psalm. So you think, why is David still talking about entering a rest? Well, it can't have been that rest. So it's got to be another rest. And then Hebrews picks it up and says, well, we're still looking forward to a rest. In other words, yes, it is the promised land, but it's the promised land of heaven for all eternity. And so he says you enter that rest by faith in the gospel. And you enter it by persevering in faith. Um, rather than turning aside from Jesus in disobedience like the people did in the wilderness when they grumbled and complained and turned back. So the point being here, for you and for me, have we come to Jesus to get rest? If we've come to him to get rest, that means we put our faith in the gospel and we know that, that that's where true rest is to be found in Jesus. We get a taste of it now. God's spirit but we're looking forward to the fulfilment that's yet to come so because we're still waiting for that promised rest to come don't get distracted along the way don't fall by the wayside like, like the Israelites did don't go back to your former way of life, don't think you'd be better off if you weren't a Christian don't envy those around about you who seem to have everything together but don't have Christ, don't think that you'd be better off if you started law-keeping like the Pharisees, that you'd be better off if, if you kept rules and religious practices. No, just keep trusting in Jesus and look forward. Amen. That's what he's saying. So, all right, there you have it. That's what the Bible says about rest. Now, what does that mean for us? Some wonderful things. Look, let, me, let me tell you. First, first of all, just in passing, I'll mention this. The New Testament on three occasions says that it's not the particular day of the week that matters to God. It's not the particular day off or Sabbath that is important in being spiritual, in being transformed by Jesus. And you can read that in Romans 14, Galatians 4, Colossians 2. You can look that up later. But what's the take-home message of this? Well, let me look at it in three perspectives. First of all, right... God works, and he works hard, and he's got a lot to show for it. It's called the universe. Nobody's ever produced that in a week, ever since. Very impressive. But then he rests. See, the purpose of God's work in the beginning wasn't work in and of itself. The, the, The meaning and significance of life, therefore, is not to be ultimately found in work. You don't find who you are by the job that you have. You know, sometimes at parties, don't you? You say, well, you know, what do you do? What do you do? And and by that, you want to know what's your job? What do you get paid for? What do you spend your Mondays to Fridays or Saturdays or even the whole week doing? Our identities, our security, our significance, our, our satisfaction, all sorts of things are tied up with our work. And God says, no, you are not the sum total of your work. It's not all about work. And he does that by dramatically saying, I value rest. I actually value you doing nothing. I value you slowing down. I value you being non-productive. I value you having some time for the sake of yourself and your household. I value you recreating. I value you playing. I value you enjoying this creation. I value you slowing down. I, I value you not having to be a driven person. And I think that's what makes sense of that, the interchange. change. Remember in the Gospels between Martha and Mary? Um, Jesus values us just being with him. And God has set aside a day to remind us that he is the God who gives rest. For us to remember that. And, and that's the first take home, I think. So if, if, if your life is just driven in relationship to work, I think it's time for a bit of a stock take. Time, time to rethink that. Mind you, it, of course, the counter to that might be complete laziness that you've never even thought of working, in which case you need to repent of that as well because God values work. Second thing, though, is we need to keep rest in perspective as well. So The picture here is work six, have a day off. Work six, have a day of rest. Work six, have a day of rest. That, that's the picture that's on view here. Um, now, again, I don't think we're under law. It, it's, it's not the case that if you look at your calendar, and we live in a society that says that there is a work ending time, Monday through to Friday, 37 and a half hours, of whatever the, the, the kind of standard wage things calculated on. Um, And not too many people actually stick to that exactly and professional people often take their work with them outside of that time. But there are some for whom work is really an unfortunate necessary means to support their rest. Um, Where life is not all about work and and I know it never was because work is really just a means to provide so that I can go about my rest. You know, I work as a necessary uh, feature to be able to buy the next surfboard or to be able to take the next tour or to be able to travel to the next country or to be able to buy the next home or, or, or whatever it might be. That, that life, for some people, it's not all about work, no, and it, and it never has been or isn't now. It's actually all about rest. And I think this is a danger for a lot of Australians that, that we think that, that life is about the weekend. We live for the weekend. We talk about it from Tuesday through to Friday and then we recap it all on the Monday before we wind up and do it again. And sometimes we get a short period because we get a long weekend. Sometimes you've only got to take one day off and you can get multiple weekends. And, And that excites us and that delights us. And maybe for different reasons. Maybe because we do work too hard. Or maybe because we think that our fulfillment is to be found in that rest. Do I become someone because of the bike that I ride, because of the mountains that I climb, by the places i travel to, by the toys that I collect, by, you know, it can very easily become another idol. And so we get to the third point here. That is, it's not about work ultimately and it's not about weekends. It's about keeping eternal rest in focus. And when God created the world in six days and then rested on the seventh, he was actually pointing us to what it's all going to be about for eternity. And so whether you're at work or whether you're at rest, keep the eternal rest in view. Don't work in such a way that it distracts you from your relationship with God and eternity to come. And don't be so consumed by your hobbies, your pleasures, your rest and recreation that you don't delight in that God has given you those things and they become idols that take the place of God.